Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. There is no silver bullet solution for every problem your business faces, from lead generation to revenue growth, just the fundamentals and hard work. This statement is the foundation of my conversation with Steve Cahan, author of the new book, High Velocity Digital Marketing, Silicon Valley Secrets to Create Breakthrough Revenue in Record Time. Throughout our conversation, he shares how talking with customers leads to creating content they need across the entire spectrum of the buyer's journey. He also talks about what he learned about digital marketing in his $1.4 billion exit and what people often get wrong. Most importantly, he makes marketing accessible and understandable, one story, one tip at a time. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 643. Well, Steve, welcome back to Getting Work to Work. It's been three years, and it sounds like there's been a lot going on in your world. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. It's uh, it's been three years, but we shouldn't be strangers like this. <laughs> I know there's there's always so much to learn from you every time you're here. Yeah, well, thank you. Absolutely. Well, what's filling your curiosity tank this morning? Well, what's fueling my curiosity tank is working with a number of startups who seem to be asking uh, the same question the executives are, which is. That uh, last year, I was with a company that had a $1.4 billion exit in cybersecurity, and they seem to be asking the same question, which is, can you teach us how you did that? We <laughs> want to do that, too. Yeah. I mean, that's such a big question. Where do you even start with that? Well, normally where I start is I kind of give them... Uh, the the inside story of a company that had sort of a funny name called Thycotic. Mm-hmm. And I tell them how the company was like day one when I joined. Mm-hmm. And, and just by way of context, it was a company in, in a space known as PAM, Privilege Access Management, which was securing passwords known as privilege passwords that exist on every operating system database application and if bad people get that, they have the keys to the kingdom. Mm. And, and when I started, we were about $5 million. We were kind of an also-ran in the market revenue flatline for two quarters in a row. We had a sales, small sales team that had no quotas, territories. We had no partners. We covered our international uh, regions from one part-time rep based in the U.S., and marketing was all event focused. In fact, it went to something like 50 trade shows a year. Oh, wow. And so I, I kind of start by telling them that story and, and then really that we had restored revenue growth within a quarter. We hit our revenue targets every quarter for five years running. We were a Gartner leader. We uh, acquired up words of uh, 5,500 customers. They were renewing and happy and had over a a million visitors in the last year to our website. And then all of that led to the $1.4 billion. So if, if, if we were able to come from where we started and then in five years later grow from 5 million to 145 million, 
that you can too. And I teach them about how we did that. Yeah. I I love that a lot too, because when you paint that picture, you're not painting it as it's an isolated experience in this one company. You're painting as, as this is something that a lot of companies go through. Yeah. So uh, virtually every company has some sort of obstacles or some struggle. And and a lot of times the solution they're, they're, they're looking for some silver bullet. And what I found is that it's always the fundamentals. It's always the basics. And just to give you an example of that, At Thicotic, when I started, I asked the founder and the management team who the company's customers were. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that the company was $5 million, so it, it wasn't big by any means, but there was revenue generated and there were customers. And they said, Steve, well, come on, we're a cybersecurity company. You ought to know that we're selling to the VPs of IT security or chief information security officers. And I shook my head and said, got it. I I get it, right? And then I started to interview the customers, right? And I found that the customers, in fact, weren't the CISOs or the VPs of IT security at all. They were the IT admins Hmm. who were the techies in the trenches. And they uh, were in an environment where they were wearing multiple hats. Downtime for their systems was absolutely unacceptable. They wanted simple, fast, easy solutions. These people would never read an analyst report and they would read reports from peers or reviews from peers and where they hung out online was very different than those with a IT security title and imagine if I would have put together a digital marketing program that would have been focused on the wrong buyer uh, that we would have wasted a tremendous amount of time and money and and it wouldn't have been successful and so that's just one example of just a, a clear fundamental that the company did not have right which enabled us to quickly change course and accelerate revenue growth. Yeah. So what I heard from that story is that there was an assumption that the customer was A, when in reality it was B. And what I also heard you say was that you were willing to, I guess, challenge that assumption with some really good questions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really these questions that uh, that that matter so much. And a lot of times what you find is, is that companies aren't meeting with their customers enough. So they they don't fully understand the context of their world. And, and as a result, their messaging doesn't resonate with them. And a great example of that is I have a, a series of questions that I always ask. And I don't call up and try to ask questions that might align very neatly with the solutions we sell. But I'll ask questions and I might start out with questions around, for example, the status quo. Mm. And a lot of times companies don't ask those questions and the status quo matters because you oftentimes don't lose business to a competitor, you lose it to the status quo, Mm. right? And you'll know that when you hear things like, gee, we're, we're just not interested, what we have is good enough. 
And so you've got to ask questions uh, such as describe your current process for insert the, the challenge that you're focused in on, what works, what doesn't. How does your team stay on top of that challenge and not get overwhelmed by it? What are a few of the tools that you currently use? What do you like? What don't you like? Mm -hmm. And so asking those questions and then questions about their challenges, their ideal solution, the benefits, the impacts, and then capturing that information. And I always would capture it in uh, a, a spreadsheet that I would keep together because what I've learned is, is that what companies are looking for is not how clever your marketing department is. Right. They're looking to work with organizations that they perceive understand them, that they believe empathize with them and using their language and communicating it back at them communicates that you do exactly that. Yeah. Well, and, and what I love about that framework too, I guess, I guess not a framework, but just that desire to interview people and really understand is that you're willing to invest the time that a lot of people don't invest because they think that it might not be impactful. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and also it wasn't a one and done exercise. It was constantly talking with customers. I made it my business that every quarter I would be talking with with new customers, with existing customers in different industries, different sizes, different geographies. I really wanted to understand them and, and stay on top of things such that our content that we ultimately would create would, would really resonate. And that was something that I always did and even created my own customer uh, board of directors, if you will, where I would go back at those those key customers on a regular basis and, and get their feedback and opinions. It, it matters a lot and it helps you to be very successful. Yeah. Ooh, that's really interesting. What What led you to this idea of a customer board of directors? I wanted a go-to advisory board that I could take uh, some of the ideas that that we were working on to ensure that they would fit the need Ooh. and a great example of that is when i interviewed a number of our uh, customers and i would ask them questions i would say well how many of these privileged passwords do you actually have <laughs> and literally a hundred percent of them would say they had no idea and and it's not to be uh, surprising that they wouldn't know because infrastructures are complex and constantly changing and growing. But if you don't know how many of these passwords you have, how are you going to manage and secure them? Right. And so I came up with an idea where we had a discovery function in our uh, paid for product, which it would go and discover those privileged passwords. And so I went back to that advisory board and said, gee, I'm thinking about giving away this functionality for free and then providing a report that would tell you how many privileged passwords that you have. I, I And I'd like to chunk it out by different environments, mm -hmm. Microsoft or Unix, so I could target even further and then tell you how you're doing. 
right? Tell you where you're doing well, where you're not doing well, what the risks are, and even what you should do about it should you manually choose to solve for it. And so I would go to that customer advisory board with that idea around that content, around that free tool, get there, uh, let them actually use it and get their feedback on the report to ensure that it offered great value because you get one chance to make a, a great first impression. And I wanted to make sure that we were doing that mm-hmm. and being in contact with some of our best customers to get their feedback on that report enabled us to do exactly that. Yeah. My my mind is churning through the possibilities of that because it, it sounds like it works great in the context of a product, but it also would work well, I think, in like a service-based business too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just think of your product being your service, right? And so it's the questions are the same, right? Yeah. But of course, what you're focused in on is different. But I can tell you, regardless, being in touch with those customers will 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 make you look maybe made me look a lot smarter than I than I, I, I actually was. And 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 we would go back to those customers really on a lot of these ideas that we had. And and it, it was interesting because uh, we had challenges where our bigger a better funded competitor in this market saw that our simplicity messaging was really resonating. Yeah. And so I got with our customer advisory board and I, I asked them because their, this competitor's product was known to be more complex. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting their opinions and they, some of them had used that product and they agreed with me that in fact, it was very complex, which led me to then go search for proof of that (laughs) and so i did some googling and i knew that our for example our product documentation was about 30 pages and i googled for their product documentation and i found that it was over 1500 pages (laughs) and i went and then trained up our sales team and partners to use the table of contents to their documentation yeah. And I compared it to the fifth largest novel ever written in human history. <laughs> and so just simply doing that enabled us to make sure that their uh, this competitor's copying of our simplicity-focused messaging would be unsuccessful. And quite <laughs> frankly, it, it never gained any traction and really allowed us to take off. Yeah. I remember reading that in your book and and I love that so much because you know all it took was a little bit of proof to be like we're comparing this to Proust's novel. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And it, it helped that it was kind of comical in a way, right? Because then people really just loved it, right? Because they were able to to then use that and and not I mean inject a little bit of humor, but Trust me, that point came across yeah. and it landed like a like a strong left hook for sure. Yeah. I, I, I want to keep talking a little bit more about this idea of interviewing your customers because I do think that it's something that is often missed when it comes to business. Why why do you think people don't spend the time with their customers? I think it's actually gotten worse 
in the remote work environment where not only are people uh, maybe not meeting with the customers as they should, they're, they're probably not even meeting with their teammates as they yeah. should, right? And, and so it's, it's one of those things that I think that people uh, think about doing. And then what happens is, is then they, they get busy doing other stuff and they deprioritize this effort and they don't realize how the critical role that it plays in the success of their content. Mm. And so based on the constant interviewing, right, we were able to create content across the full spec buyer's journey, whether they were educating themselves in discovery mode, whether they were in consideration mode, really thinking about uh, uh, potential solutions, whether they were, they were in, in evaluate mode, where they're actually perhaps trialing uh, a, a product uh, or purchasing. And, and so I, because I knew the importance of our content, I wanted to make sure that our content was as good as it could be. And a great example of my knowing that our content was great essentially is this, hmm. is that we constantly grew traffic to our website quarter in and quarter out. Hmm. But the key to that was that we also maintained, and I watched on a daily basis, that we were getting at least a 5% website visitor to lead conversion rate. Wow. And think about what that means, right? And so like if in your own world, I will tell you, if you're like me, mm -hmm. you, I almost never will put my name, address, email address, phone number on into a form online. Yeah. <laughs> right, because it's like, you know what happens, you're gonna get hounded, right? And so I, I just don't do it, right? And that means that your content has to be so good that a website visitor is actually willing to do that, right? So it's got to capture their attention, perhaps capture their imagination. And knowing that our uh, content was great or that it had the potential to be great really came from talking and talking frequently to, to our customers to really understand, like I say, the full context of their world, no matter where they were in their buyer's journey. And so I prioritized and made a, a focused effort on it. And like I said, too many organizations don't realize that 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 activity that sort of gets deprioritized is precisely the reason why they're not perhaps getting the results that they should be. Right. And I love that connection between interviewing and talking with your customers in order to make content that will be compelling because, I mean, we are in an abundance of content at this point. So I, I love this strategy of saying, hey, here's a way to stand out in the sea of content. Yeah. I mean, like another example was in talking to our customers, uh, and prospective customers as well. One, one of the things that I learned was they had a really tough time understanding the extent of the risk of the privileged passwords that they found that they had. And so that might stop them from actually buying. Mm. 
So I decided to come out because I understood that with another free tool called the Privileged Password Risk Assessment, hmm. where an organization would come to our site, it would take about 10 minutes, they'd answer a series of questions, and then they'd get a grade like they're in university, A through F. <laughs> And then they get this beautiful report that would say how they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then because we captured uh, information about their geography, their industry, or the size of their company right up front, that then we were able to do lots of cool things. So uh, we were able to then send them an email the very next day, which got them opening our emails that would tell them how their results compared to their peer group. Hmm. And because now I was collecting all this proprietary information, I could create like a state of annual report, a state of uh, privileged account management, or because I collected all the, the information about geography, size, and, and industry, I could create mini reports like the state of Ham for financial services in the UK, hmm. right? So we could get super targeted marketing in that way, right? And so again, this is content that came out of uh, listening and talking with our customers and, and, and this content not only generated a ton of leads, but it fed our blogs, our social media, webinars. So it contributed both to lead generation pipeline and revenue, as well as to growing our visibility. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. And what I love about that too is no silver bullet in that. It's just straight up work. <laughs> yeah. 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 As you could see, like there's not really a lot of rocket science, but yeah. What it is, is it's it's just good fundamentals, talking to your customers, understanding their must-solve problem and the impacts that they, their team, the organization is trying to make, mm -hmm. reflecting that in great content, making sure that content is, is being downloaded at a, at a healthy rate, and then ultimately contributing to a high-velocity sales and marketing model. And, and honestly, that's you just get a few of those basics right and you start to position yourself for uh, accelerated revenue growth. Yeah. And is this what really served as the foundation for high velocity digital marketing? It did. It did. And so I, I, I this is a strategy that I had uh, put in place and implemented across multiple companies that achieved great growth. And, and, and so I read a survey, it was done by McKinsey, and the survey was really all about how roughly 80% uh, percent of CEOs said they expect their marketing to drive a good chunk of their company's growth, yet many of those same CEOs are dissatisfied with the return on their marketing investments. And when I talk to a lot of sales and marketing leaders that because of that, they feel overwhelmed by revenue expectations they can't meet. Mm -hmm. And so the way people buy today has totally changed and that buyers now rely on digital content to make purchase decisions. And really it was with all of that in mind that I decided to write uh, 
my book, High Velocity Digital Marketing. Yeah. One of the most captivating parts of the start of the book is the three seismic shifts that you write about. Would you be willing to share those? Because I think that's an important piece of the of the foundation of the book as well. Yeah. Well, and you know, when you think about like how buyers buy online today, right? And I guess the best way that I would give an example of one of those and how it has totally changed is that think about if you're going to buy a car today, right? You're you're you'll probably start by doing some Googling, <laughs> right? And then you're gonna go find a few cars, right? You'll probably read some reviews. Mm-hmm. Then maybe if you're getting a new car, you might go to the manufacturer's site and just go and build it like perfectly for you, right? And then you might do some additional research to figure out like how much should that cost, right? What's the dealer's cost? What should it cost you, right? And so you will probably know more or as much about that car than than the dealer salesperson does before you ever even step into a dealership to purchase a car, mm-hmm. right? And that is buying a car, but that is how people buy a lot of product and services today. And so what it really means is, is that, uh, that for organizations, you gotta be great online, right? And you got to do this uh, by delivering great content that enable people to make a decision and decide you. Mm-hmm. And so the concept behind high velocity digital marketing is, is really simple. It's all about the quicker you convert digital content based leads into paying customers, the more successful your business and, and time is money and the single metric that reveals the most about time and money is velocity Mm -hmm. right and so so what the book is teaching uh organizations how to deal with in this new environment is how to properly utilize your content to develop it to ask the right questions of your customers what are all of those questions for example i document document how to create great campaigns how to become great on google how to create a high-performing website, like all of that stuff, which is really a lot of the um, things that I've done over the years. And it's written in, like I'm a startup guy, so it's written not in a theoretical way. It's written very much how to, so you can read some things and go and implement it that very same day. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I love the way it's written. Uh, I've been I've been reading it myself, and there's so much to take away. It's not it's not a book that you just you know devour in one sitting. There's a lot of like I'm going to sip some and reflect, and then put it into action. Right. I mean, like here's a here's an example. So a lot of people they'll say, okay, well we got to get better at Google. How do I do that? Yeah. Right. And so there are 300 page books you could purchase on how to become great in google or in sometimes you could hire some firms where like your head is spinning by the time you really understand what to do right so here's an example of one thing organizations can do today so whenever we created content 
we would um, know based on talking to our customers as well, there are some pretty cool tools or free tools that you could determine the number of searches that are done on those keywords that uh, potential buyers are searching for when they're looking in and around uh, a listener's space. And those I would call coveted keywords. Mm -hmm. So these were the keywords that people would be searching for when they were in and around privileged account management when I was at Thycotic, for example. Mm -hmm. So we would have our SEO, search engine optimization uh, expert, meet with our content creators before they would create content they would have a discussion about what was being created and what would be the keywords they should use then at the end of the process they would get together again and make sure that we had the proper keywords inserted in there i mean not losing re readability obviously <laughs> and then we would make sure that our content was exposed to google because then it would be scanned right and just simply by implementing that process and then of course we had great content so our partners really loved it which then earned us a lot of great backlinks just implementing that approach without even getting technical on a lot of the things that you could do right that helped us to rocket our way up the google rankings at a speed that we would have never been able to be beating our much bigger competitors as as our company grew. Yeah. I, I love that story a lot because it it's really speaks to the phrase that's in my mind right now is work on your business, not just in your business. This all this all speaks to that working on your business to me. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? And and it's stuff like that that is that's in the book, right? And of course, I've got a lot more or even like lots of ideas. I mean, we I mentioned that our website was always super high performing and by high performing was that great visitor to lead conversion rate. Mm -hmm. But then also I go through all sorts of things that people could do to their website like today that will increase their visitor to lead conversion rate and these are not like hard to do things right these are things that organizations can do today yeah what's what's one of them my my curiosity is peaked sure well i'll i'll give you i'll give you three how about that that sounds great so put a get a quote button at the top of your homepage. You know, I made that recommendation to a $70 million company that I work with, and now that's the highest performing uh, uh, call to action on their website. That would be one. Secondly, minimize friction in your form. Mm. And the way to think about this is think about like Google's homepage. It's blindingly simple, right? There's all this white space. You just type in one thing, right? And so I've seen uh, as much as 50% increases in those forms being filled out when you reduce the field in, in half. Hmm. Uh, and here's, uh, here's a third one. A lot of organizations uh, are blogs, right? But then they end their blog, and, and a lot of times their blogs 
even if they're educational in nature, which typically that's what their customers want the most, they leave it up to those readers to figure out what to do next. And I'm a big believer that each and every blog no, uh, post needs a call to action. If you end blog posts by just leaving a, co a comment, you're doing them wrong. These readers need to do something and you need to be asking them, not relying on them to figure it out. So having a strong call to action at the top or at the end of your blog or both is a great way to do that. Nice. And when it comes to call to action again, this is going to be found when you're talking to customers or is it in thinking about the customer journey? It's it's really thinking about uh, both, right? It's thinking about the content that you offer and also having content across the customer journey. A lot of organizations, they have content at the end of the customer journey because like they'll feel pressure that, gee, if we just have more trials, those convert at the highest rate, let's just focus on those. And you should focus on those, right? But not every buyer is ready to trial your product, right? And so some of them just wanna be educated. So you've gotta have content for where the buyer is. And each piece of content should play together, right? And so, one uh, piece of content in the educational mode should move to the next one in the consideration mode. And you need to train your salespeople and your partners on how to use that content in that way as well, right? And nothing zaps the velocity out of a high velocity sales and marketing model than a gap in content. Mm. Wow. So, Wow, that just kind of blew my mind there because, you know, thinking about the whole journey and making sure that you have content that speaks to every part of the journey so that you don't zap the process. Absolutely. Right. And what you do is you just put like a simple buyer's journey. Right. So a simple buyer's journey could be uh, just uh, quite frankly, some discovery mode at the top. Uh, to consider, to evaluate, to purchase. So if you just look at those four stages, not getting overly complex about it, and map your content across those stages. And by the way, a lot of organizations they'll have on their website, like trials or contact sales, right? And, and that's their two primary things that they offer for which a visitor has to fill out a form. And then they have a poor website visitor to lead conversion rate, and they just can't figure out why. Right. Well, a lot of times it's because they don't have content across each stage of the buyer's journey. So, so then, you know, what if I don't want to talk to a sales rep? What if I'm not ready to try your product, right? What if I just want to get an analyst report or I just want to get like some cool free tool, right? If you don't have that, then you're losing all of those visitors. They're going to your site. Maybe they're bouncing quickly. And and trust me, they, they very well may be going to a competitor. And obviously, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, high velocity isn't connected to bounce rate. <laughs> That's right. 
So when you were writing this book, Steve, what what surprised you in the writing process as you as you solidified what you've learned at the different startups that you've worked at? What surprised me is when I got done with it all was that what I was really writing about was fundamentals. And so many people over the years that I've spoken with, because I've been blessed to have worked with a number of startup companies that have achieved great revenue growth, that like they think that it's like there's some sort of uh, just magic that is done at these organizations that help to achieve it. And, and what I learned was, is that it was really a lot of hard work and hard work and in my view, against these fundamentals, that hard work was the price that we needed to pay for the success that we desired to achieve. And so it was the fundamentals, right? And if I could just put together those fundamentals and then complement it with, uh, with uh, interesting stories so people could then apply those ideas to their own businesses, that then I felt that I'd be on the right track and get a business book that I myself would want to read, having read a lot. And so what surprised me was I thought there would be maybe a little bit more um, magic to it. And what I found was, no, 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 this was a book about being great at the fundamentals. Yeah. I, I love that too. It speaks to the the writing process where you have one idea going in and on the other end you're like wow that that changed me too i love that yeah yeah and now just working with many many different uh companies uh that i uh, that i have a chance to meet with what i found is that we would always be going over a lot of this info and now I could do that and then back it up by saying, hey, read this chapter when we're done talking. So it helps uh, helps those organizations uh, sort of figure out what's important and then uh, make sure that they have their own prioritized set of actions to implement. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're at the end of the year. We're heading into a new year. And obviously, people are going to be looking for something that they can do to start preparing them for this new year. What What's something that we should do heading into 2023? Talk to your customers and figure out the content that you need to capture their imagination. If you have that, that will be the basic fundamental that will enable you to be great on Google. It will enable you to uh, get your buyers to respond and where they hang out online, which is ex extremely important. And it will contribute to a growing healthy pipeline and accelerated revenue. Go do that and you'll put yourself and your business in a much better spot, even in a tight economy. Nice. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm excited to continue diving into your book. You know, that's going to be the book that's blowing my mind right now. But is there a book blowing your mind? Well, I would say the book that's blowing my mind, which I am half done, which is the third book that I'm actually writing right now, which is actually a murder mystery with two of James Patterson's uh, co-authors. Seriously, no way. Yeah, it's uh, it's 
incredibly fun. It taps your creativity in ways yeah. that you never would have dreamed possible. And then working with uh, with Tim Arnold and Jazzy McKenzie, who have written uh, New York Times number one bestsellers with James Patterson. I couldn't think of a better team to be working with. Yeah. You know, I have to say that I haven't been a James Patterson reader for, you know, until the last month or so when I came across his, uh, his memoir and I've learned more, I think about the writing process kind of from that book and in his working with co-writers. So that's awesome that you're now working with his co-writers. Yeah. 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 They, um, they're really talented and it's, as I say, a lot of fun. So Although I'm reading uh, several books right now, uh, that I have to say is probably what I'm getting the most enjoyment is writing this one. How do you think that'll impact your business writing? I think it will make me a better writer and a better communicator because what you're doing in the case of high velocity digital marketing, it was really based upon a, a whole set of strategy and execution that I've implemented across many years. And it just needed to be uh, presented to a reader such that they can they can gain benefit and take action from. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's like you're being super creative about, uh, for example, designing characters that are super interesting and compelling that people would really care about. And then, of course, the many twists and turns that that a good book takes, and so, so you really don't know where where the end is, um, and you don't know about the extra twists and turns and how characters develop even further when you're when you're writing, and so I just feel that'll make me a, a stronger communicator in the future, and and hopefully uh, a better person to boot. As we wrap up this episode, I'm going to leave you with a question. What one tip from this conversation are you going to implement today? Perhaps you'll add a get a quote button. Maybe you'll talk to your customers, plan content based upon the entire buyer's journey. Whatever it is, write it down and go get it done. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.